you're getting a big kick out of this. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the show. Lent is over. It is Easter. Paul George, Deacon Adam Hong. <laughs> hallelujah. That's actually a Christmas song, but hey, it says hallelujah a lot. So. How is it Christmas? How, who, who said so? Well, the verses are like Isaiah's prophecy about the coming Messiah. Gotcha. And so yeah. it's, it's well, I not couldn't, the, yeah. I couldn't understand what they were saying other than hallelujah. Yeah, which but, is the key word. Yeah. So welcome to the show. <laughs> Great to be with you guys. Uh, Lent is over. We are in the Easter season. Happy Great to Easter. be with you. Yeah. Are you worn out? Like you, you had to serve all the liturgies and do all the things. Yeah, I was tired. I just didn't think about it. I just kept going, yeah. which I got used to as a parent anyway. Like I mean, five-hour you know energy? Like you <laughs> cranking those down? No, no, just caffeine. Keep going. Don't mm. even think about it. Nothing? Don't even think about it. My voice, I noticed, was, was shaky at the end, and uh, but yesterday I, I napped pretty good. So. Oh, you got a little Easter nap in. A little nap, a little Easter nap, and I slept hard. Really? Mm-hmm. Mm. But uh, it was beautiful. It was great, and, you know... South Louisiana is a special place uh, for the Catholic faith. Everybody down here knows that. We appreciate it. When people visit, they notice it. And one of the ways you can tell is just liturgy. Like, we do go hard in the liturgy mm-hmm. here. Everybody does their best. Every parish does their best. And a lot of times that means extra stuff. So, like, our our university campus ministry puts on an awesome outdoor passion play every year. Um, you know, I went like living stations. Yeah, I went to it. I got ants all over me. Did you? Yeah, that was my that was my Good Friday penance. <laughs> we went to the station outdoor stations of the cross, which they do a great job. And uh, you know the station stops and they say something and you know whatever. I look down. I got I got ants. I got my my youngest on my shoulders, carrying her through the whole thing. You know, I'm getting my exercise. And then I look down. I got ants all over me. Not like one, like a pile. Wow. Like yeah, it was awesome. Your legs are like everywhere. Yeah, yeah. All over my shoes and legs. And I was thinking, this is my Good Friday penance. That is I mean, Jesus penance. died on the cross, and like I got to deal with ant bites. That's right. I can deal with it. I'm sure you thought of the scourging at that moment. That's what I would have thought of. Like, all right, Jesus, you got whipped in your legs. I'm getting bit in mine. In, in a weird way, like I did say in my mind, like, I should not complain about this. Mm-hmm. Like any other time, you get ants all over you, just like, painting. at least right. I am. Right. But in this moment, I mean, I haven't... A literal person with a with a beam across, like walking mm-hmm. through the park for the live stations, and I'm thinking I really should not complain, right? About ants all over. I still have bites all over me and stuff, but you know what? It's a good reminder. This is a good reminder. We talked about hair shirts. We could just do ant bites, like just have some pet ants that you just let crawl on you. Just let them bite you all over. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So what are you most excited to come out of Lent into Easter? You know, like. You know, I've had a strange Lent Easter experience mm. in the history of my did you, my spiritual life. Okay. And I'm at a point where what I'm looking forward to the most is kind of like normal life balance. I know mm. that sounds weird, but like a lot of the extra stuff during Lent that I take on or do, or I'm just looking forward to getting back to a normal routine. I know that sounds weird, but... It's it's Lent was a different kind of growth for me this year. I think it was a good growth, but it yeah. was a growth that kind of highlighted the importance of just everyday 
Lynch should kind of pop us out of like this normal mundane and like get us in a new right. rhythm and new thought. It's uncomfortable, right? And Easter yeah. is like a celebration of that, but like back into like, oh, okay, like I can, you know, put some sugar in my coffee and yeah. kind of have the normal comforts of whatever. When I have a lot of goals for my normal life, I, and don't, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying I want to go back to pre-Lent. What I'm saying is Lent has showed me that I need a new normal life. You know what I'm saying? So I'm looking forward to making that new normal in this Easter season. Right. All right. So do you have, have you seen? What did you say? That is so interesting. Oh, for real though? Have you ever gotten a gift that like you still remember? Just meaningful to you? Yes. All right. Because some people, they they just love getting gifts. I'm not one of those people necessarily. I appreciate gifts, but but you have at least one. Well, I remember. Yeah. 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 I mean, I if you ask the question, like, do I remember some specific gifts I've gotten in my life? Yes, yeah. I do. Nice. Well, uh, have you seen this, that there's a woman who, in England, who's 75 years old. Mm-hmm. She was given an Easter egg when she was 13. Okay. But it's apparently not like an actual egg. It's one... It's a big fake egg, right? Okay. There's stuff in it. You get Easter eggs. I'm sure you got one this past weekend. Somebody handed you an Easter egg with candy in it. Yeah. It happens, right? Right. Well, apparently the one she got when she was 13, um, she kept all these years. She's 75. Mm-hmm. And she was given this year the world record by um, Guinness Book of World Records for the longest unopened Easter egg. She never opened it. She never opened it. And she pays 80 pounds, which is what the British call money, 80 pounds a month to keep this egg in its own storage container to keep it from melting because it has chocolate in it. And apparently it, it, there's chocolate involved in it. I don't know. So wh- why hasn't she wanted to open it? Like what is there meaning behind it? Or yeah, like so she's, her, her name is Hillian. Okay. It's her last name. And she said, I still remember the day I was given it. It was simply too pretty that I didn't want to eat it. Oh, so the, the egg itself is chocolate. Is made of chocolate. Okay, so there's nothing in it. Wrapped in cellophane with stuff in it. So it's like this big chocolate egg with stuff in so it. So there's not like money or she's going to open it up and there's going to be a, she doesn't dime, know. a diamond or gold. She doesn't or- know. <laughs> she doesn't want to know. <laughs> um, it was simply too pr- pretty. She didn't want to eat it. And I thought to myself, I'll keep it until White Sun. I don't know what that means. It's a British thing. Oh, Christmas. But then I never ate it. And then I'll keep it till Christmas. Never ate it. And so that went on for years and years and years. So, wow. Poor her. So, I don't know if you could ever break that record. You'd have to start young. Yeah. 13 to 75. But uh, I, I, when I saw this article, I immediately thought, I have literally no gifts like that. And I, I think there's something wrong with me. Like, people cherish gifts. Well, I mean, look, she got an egg. Any gift I've had, I, I'm going to open it. I want to know what's in there, right? So, I mean, maybe you've just never gotten a gift that's been, like, extremely meaningful. But, like, you're a musician. Did mm-hmm. you ever get a guitar? Yes. Okay. So you remember that? Yes. So, like, so now you remember. Oh, like, as a gift? Yeah. No. Okay. So no one... Wait, you, yes. My dad gave me one of his. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. See? So that's a it's actually It's actually a banjo. A banjo. It's a... Banjo guitar. Banjo guitar. 
Okay. Do you still play it? Uh, every once in a while. Just but it's it's me. It, you're going to keep that. You're you know you're good. It's going to be call. a keepsake. You're going to pass it on. to You're your awakening kids and, my memory now. I, exactly. I remember I got a I got a pipe from my, my dad gave me a pipe from my grandfather's my grandfather's pipe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, okay. So I'm not a horrible human being after all. Yeah. I just need a. It's. You've been living long enough to where you just don't get meaningful gifts all the time. So you got to go mm-hmm. back into your archives. Archives. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess that's part of being human is that we're grateful for these things, and we we um, you know we we give gifts, we get gifts, and we remember these things. It's definitely a skill that like I struggle with. You know, the gratitude's there in my heart, but as far as communicating that and like mm-hmm. I don't know the thank you notes. I'm not a big thank you note writer, but apparently it's a very human thing to do. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't really know either. All I know is it's Easter. <laughs> this woman kept an egg forever. <laughs> We have some weird Easter traditions in South Louisiana. We call call it pockeying eggs, where mm-hmm. you boil eggs, you decorate them, and then you hit them against each other. You knock them, and whoever's cracks loses. I grew up in a small town where this was so big that at the courthouse square, there were Easter egg knocking contests. Nice. Like winner take all, like money's in. Like, like this is a trophy and money type gig, dude. It's Man, you celebrating Easter, people honestly, and I do not make this up, would raise their chickens and feed them certain things to make the eggs harder, like iron, like iron or calcium or something, steel, right? Proteins. <laughs> I have no idea. And then they would, you know, birth, you know, hard eggs. I don't know. Now you can't doctor them up or anything. Like there's judges that would check to see if like you put glue on them or anything like that. Like, so this is like the thing, man. Wow. It's a big deal. I kind of, you know, so we still do that tradition at home, but you know, my kids wouldn't know like the big thing. We need to go to the big thing. The big thing. Yeah. Like the real contest. Yeah. I mean, people get into it. Yeah. It's fascinating. I mean, these Easter traditions, um, you know, with Christmas, there's a lot of traditions around Christmas, obviously that are pretty explicitly related to Jesus, even though people forget that Jesus is involved. Right. Like Christmas lights, Christmas tree, whatever. I don't know. I don't know about eggs. I don't know. Do you know this? Like, is there an actual connection between the Lord? I mean, I've heard, you know, like the egg is like the tomb and Jesus is like the chicken that comes out, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't really know either. I don't kind of don't want to (laughs) know. I was looking at other traditions though that I would love to have. Okay. So check this out. Here's an Easter tradition in Norway. So the tradition is is that they release during Easter, like the week of Easter and Easter Sunday, uh, like a, a a slew of um, a, a slew of crime shows on TV, and people go away on vacation into like their little cabins in the Norway mountains, and they they watch crime shows and they just veg out. Really? Like, how cool does that sound? That's like, a thing. Like, that's a thing. Yep. It's called Easter time is crime time in Norway. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. See, that, that I don't see the connection there to the Lord rising from the dead, but I guess it, it makes sense on some level. Well, what I do see the connection is people get away and rest. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they vacation like you're going to the Ozark Mountains. That's right. That's right. right. For Maybe Easter, we should watch Easter the Nor- Norwegian crime so, shows. Yeah, and novels, and you just kind of read 
you know, whatever, watch TV. Now, I wouldn't do that, but, like, I'm looking at this picture of, like, this little cabin on a stream, and I'm thinking, mm-hmm. that's an Easter I would enjoy. That's right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But here's another one, and I think, in a sick way, I would love to be a part of this one. <laughs> the Great Easter Bunny Hunt in New Zealand. The Great Easter Bunny Hunt? Hunt. Like you're hunting the Easter Bunny? They literally, with over 500 hunters vying for a coveted trophy of $3,500, with over 10,000 rabbits meeting their maker each year. So they kill 10,000 Easter Bunnies. Yeah, like it's a, it's a like a, you know, we do hunts here. Like there's dove hunting, like you go in a field, you know, whatever. And there is rabbit hunting. But for Easter, they do a... uh a rabbit hunt. Wow. Like, rabbit's good to eat, by the way. Just yeah, FYI. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, but they do like an onslaught, like a, a slaughter of the... Goodness the, gracious. The innocence. <laughs> <laughs> wow. The bunnies. Yeah. That, I mean... Okay. I mean, <laughs> that sounds like a pretty... Well, I mean, if you're a sportsman, that sounds awesome. Yeah, it's just uh, an outdoor... Just kind yeah. of a funny thing. I mean, in America, we... Revere the Easter Bunny. We'll take pictures with him. Let's say the Easter Bunny sensibly gives up this corner of New Zealand. <laughs> so they don't get baskets on Easter Sunday. I don't know what they get. Because they, uh, they killed all the bunnies. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, there's some weird Easter traditions around the world. Like, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In France, they cook the world's largest omelet. Have you ever heard of that? Yes, just because here in uh, Abbeville, Louisiana... We've paired with this place in France that does it. I forget, but they have an we have an omelet festival here in Abbeville, and we match whatever they did. So we we keep each making the world's largest omelet. So they do it, then we do it a little bigger, then they do it a little bigger. So Australia and New Zealand are near each other, and they're beautiful That's countries, right. but they're obviously are polar opposites. Okay, so mm-hmm. in New Zealand they slaughter the the, the bunnies. <laughs> Uh, in, in Australia, the the tradition is um, the Easter bilby, okay, which is a uh, I guess a little bunny in an attempt to raise awareness about the dwindling bilby population. Confectioners in Australia have taken to making chocolate likeness of this small rabbit-sized uh, marsupial. Mm-hmm. Aussies can scoff at it, uh, so knowing that uh, they're trying to raise awareness not to kill the little bunnies. That is the opposite direction. A bilby. Bilby. <laughs> I can't believe those New Zealanders kill all those bilbies. Well, what's fascinating to me is that the word Easter, when applied to all these things, I mean, there's, you know, Christmas is obviously related to Christ, Christ Mass. It's very Catholic. So to, to use the word Christmas on anything is very Catholic. But Easter is very Jewish and Catholic. I mean, the word literally means Passover, and Easter is the Greek version of that word. And it's it's just fascinating to me that people can separate the religious roots of words, and in this case, a time of year, a time of, you know, from its complete meaning. And, and it all makes sense to them. Like, they live in a universe where we don't have to, <clears throat> we don't have to believe in any of this stuff to be able to celebrate it. And that's fascinating to me. I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I just mean it in, you know, how do we get there as humans where we can celebrate something that literally means nothing to us in the sense of its original meaning? I don't get that. I kind of wish we called Easter Passover, like we call Christmas Christmas. I think it would have more religious sort of, you know, tone to it. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, 
It's Passover. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the. I mean, what is the? What did you say the word Easter means? Passover. It means Passover, right? Yeah, like for example, yeah. like in French, uh, Pasque. They just say like Passover. Like Pasch- candle, mm-hmm. where we yeah. get the word Paschal. Exactly. Right. And so, yeah, in other languages, they do call it Passover. They didn't use the Greek, which we use in English, Easter. So we'll see how that's going with them. You know, maybe it's working out. Maybe we go back to the original language. <laughs> but I mean, it's sort of the trendy thing. But like, it, like St. Paul says, if Christ has not risen from the dead, our faith is in vain. How much more so if Christ has not risen from the dead, all of our celebrations are in vain, you know? All these Easter celebrations, like, completely in vain if Christ has not risen from the dead. And the the announcement of Easter, the Alleluia that we began the show with, Alleluia, I remember, is that he actually is risen from the dead. And this is really good news. And this is not just a myth. This is not just something Christians believe happened. But this is a historical fact that Jesus Christ died on a cross. We all saw it. And he rose from the dead. And no one has been able to disprove it for 2,000 years. And not only that, but he's appeared to people after his death beginning then for 40 days, and ever since, he appears to people every now and then. Um, and this is good news, and this is a big deal. And so Easter means something, and Passover means something to Christians. And it's not just something to, you know, hang out uh, for the weekend. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, if Jesus wouldn't have rose from the dead, there wasn't be proof of that, right? Like, you know, I mean, in, in some, like, in religious, non-Christian religious circles, right, they would say that, you know, the apostles, the disciples stole his body. You know, like, he didn't, really didn't rise. It was a myth. You know, it was a tale. But there was witness to his resurrection, so much so that why would any, like, Jewish Christian person in the first century give their life for something that didn't happen? Mm-hmm. Like, why would they go to, to the ends of the earth of what they knew spreading the gospel, giving up their life, preaching the resurrection, that Jesus had come and died and rose from the dead, conquered evil and sin, took on and bore our sin and rose to new life. Why would people die for that if it didn't happen? Right. You know, like like there there would be no, you know, it, you could just say, like, he, he was just a good dude. Like, we should, like, listen to, like, some of his teachings that would help us out in our life. But, like, he wasn't, he didn't rise from the dead. No, like... Like, they gave up all caution to the wind because he did. Yeah. Well, and even his teachings, as great as they are, we've never had better, never will have better, they don't sufficiently explain what happened. I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of people came to believe in Jesus in those three years that he was doing public ministry, not just because he was a great teacher. They had great teachers. But because he was performing miracles, because he raised Lazarus from the dead, because he fed 5,000 people from just a few loaves, like, this is not a myth. This is not a fairy tale. These things actually happen. And all of that could have been undone if he did not rise from the dead. No one, like, it's not like Jesus figured out a get-rich scheme or, like, get-powerful-quickly scheme and convinced the apostles who were fishermen. And like you said, they were just normal Jews. These are not highly educated people, not ambitious people. Peter, James, John, all fishermen content with a lowly life, a worker life, you know? It's not like Jesus convinced them on this little scheme where, hey, I'm going to be killed in three years. That's plan A, right? Like that's, right. Thumbs that's up. And then you guys get to be, you know really rich and famous the rest of your life. That's not what happened at all. 
And yet these men, like you said, committed their lives to this mission to spread the gospel. By the way, Peter and Paul going to the heart of the empire, Rome, to spread this message that they saw Jesus rise from the dead. There's no other way to get killed than to go to Rome and complain a proclaim a different god than the roman gods yeah i think uh, you know in part that's a big issue in the christian church is that you know we have a lot of preachers and pastors and all these things who are getting rich on the gospel you know amazing lives who would not risk their life you know would Mm -hmm. not live the hard life of christ and like you know what it's just drastically different than what we see in the early church. You know, over the course of the weeks on the show, we're going to kind of walk through like, what does the resurrected church look like? Mm-hmm. I mean, it looks like a, it looks a lot different than a lot of times of what we see now, you know? Yeah. Okay. Let's take a break. Healthcare that works better and costs less seems like an oxymoron, right? Take a minute and check out our sponsor, Solidarity HealthShare. Members say that faith-based Health sharing is a much better fit than insurance, all while costing less. Prices start at $384 a month for families. Call now to see how much you can save. 844-387-8533. That's 844-387-8533. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you, Paul George, Deacon Adam Kong. In studio, Esher, Esher. Esher. Happy Esher, everybody. Everyone. Ha ha. (laughs) Easter. Easter shows. Easter. Moving into Easter. Moving into Easter. I don't know. And you just challenged me. How? You're talking about how the church is not willing to risk its skin on the resurrection. So I'm... You know, during the break, I was thinking about this. I was like, how can I risk it all to proclaim the resurrection? Like, what could I do? So I'm, I'm thinking about that. I got ampites. That's what you did. <laughs> Good. I got ampites so, for Jesus. So you're done. Check. Yeah, I mean, at least for now. Today. <laughs> that should last a couple of weeks. Yeah. But it's it's hard to think that way because I guess if you're a priest, bishop, bishop for sure, like, not that it's an easy road at all. It's just, you know, risking it all. You've already risked a lot in the sense of, um, you know, it can be pretty clear. Everyone's looking to you to lead the church. But, like, as a married person, as a, um, like, how do you actually risk it all for the resurrection? How do you witness to the, the joy of the resurrection? Obviously, with your wife and your kids, that makes sense, and mm-hmm. we should. And a lot of us have really given up on that mission, unfortunately. I mean, men... Men not leading their family, not witnessing to their family the resurrection, that they know Jesus, they've met Jesus, he's alive. Um, our church is literally dying because of that. And men need to do that in their families, obviously. But I think lay people also have a role to the whole world. You know, Obviously, the, there's a lot of great lay saint martyrs who laid down their lives, even in the early church. I mean, it wasn't just the priests and bishops doing this stuff. I mean, Felicity and Perpetua, these are young married women. Young married women with kids who literally were martyred in, in Romans, uh, the Colosseum, because they were proclaiming the resurrection. So that that fires me up, but it also convicts me. Like, what can I do? How could I end up in a Colosseum? Well, here's the thing. is like we were talking about the resurrection, right? Like, okay, 
first of all, the, the human condition is, tells us to not risk our life, right? Like we want to save our own life, right? Like, you know, like no one's like, Hey, I'd like to die today just cause there's nothing else to do. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, like we want self preservation, right? Like we, like, so like we already don't want to risk our life. So then why would we risk our life for something that isn't true? Right. Right. Like you would have to really convince me to really risk my life for something that's, that's like worth risking my life for. Right. Mm -hmm. So when something's tangible, like if my, if my kid's running in the middle of the road and a car's coming, like, I don't think twice about me. I'm just like, let me get the kid. If I die, I die. Right. Whatever. If I get hit. So for the early Christians, like they were more than convinced. It wasn't like, ah, I'm sort of convinced to die. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I'm, you're either convinced or you're not. You're like, ah, I kind of don't know. Mm -hmm. What do you think? <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. So, so th th this isn't, you know, I think we're a lot of times so far removed from the resurrection and the power of it that we, we've gotten away. And, and so we, we live in this comfort or we live in this sort of like, you know, convincing of what Jesus rose so that we can, we can live comfortably. Mm -hmm. I think he rose so we can live uncomfortably. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe we settle into this idea of like camp counselor Jesus where he's running like camp church. And some of us are going to be leaders in camp church. Like some of us are really good at canoeing. Some of us are really good at that. And so he'll ask us to help out. But most of us are just kind of going with the flow. You know, we're just campers at camp church. And, um, and Jesus sees us. He appreciates us. We know he's there. He's watching over us. We can interact with him every now and then. But it's mostly a comfortable, pleasant experience to, to be a member of the church. And you're right. And that's literally not what Jesus said. I mean, he said... That you have to take up your cross daily. You you shouldn't even follow me unless you're willing to hate your father, your mother, your sister, your brother, your friends, your lands. Like unless you're willing to forsake it all, don't even follow me. That's the truth. So camp church is in reality this high call for all of us because all of us can only carry the cross and and proclaim the witness that Christ calls us to do. We're all leaders. Like we're all members of this mandate to go preach the gospel, to witness to the resurrection, to the end of the world. And we all hear that message and we go, yes, but how do I do that? Mm. How do I give up my life for the resurrection? How do I risk it all to proclaim that Jesus is alive? And that's the, that's, for me, that's the hard part is discerning holiness, discerning that missionary zeal in my life. Right. In my, in my life, what God's calling me to, you know, I would make this challenge on the show for all of us. So we go through 50 days of Easter, mm -hmm. right, uh, to Pentecost. I would challenge, if you don't do this already, to read the daily readings, okay, so the walkthrough uh, in, up until Easter of the daily gospel readings, right? And you're going to see, like, the church come alive and, like, what, the interaction with the resurrected Jesus, Right. And, and like the power uh, of the church, the beginning, but the interaction, what Jesus is saying, teaching and what's happening, unfolding, like dive into that in your prayer life. And like with, with the reality of what took place, like this Sunday, like, you know, what is the, the first thing that Jesus tells us at the resurrection there? It says in the evening of the first day of the week, when the doors were locked, where the disciples were. So 
we know that they were behind locked doors. Why? They were in fear of their life. They have yet to really experience the Holy Spirit, the power of the resurrection. They were living in fear. Some, even obviously Thomas, and all of them, when we pick on Thomas, they were all doubting the resurrection. They, they had yet to been like, ah, I'm, I'm willing to give up my life for this. Mm-hmm. Right? So they're, right? They're behind locked doors. And it says, Jesus came and stood in their midst, and the first thing he said to them was, peace be with you. So we know that the resurrected Lord like wants to give us peace, like in the midst of fear and doubt. That that like that's that's the resurrection. Is this peace in the midst of the storm to really live the life that God calls us? So He appears to them. He said to them, He showed them His hands and His feet, His side. Right, uh, and the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Um, and he said to them again, peace be with you. So obviously this is an important thing. Like he, he could sense their anxiety. He could sense their, their, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy spirit who sends you forgive or forgiven them and who sends you retain and retain. So like they received the Holy spirit, the life of God, like the resurrected power of Jesus Christ to go out into the world. And then we have the interaction with Thomas, you know, saying like, okay, Jesus, you're standing here, like prove it to me, right? Like yada yada and and you we call it doubting Thomas, but they were all doubting. Like they were they were mm-hmm. the doubting disciples. Yeah, even in the resurrection if you look in the book of Acts like it says they worshiped but they doubted. Yes. Um at the mountain of ascension. Yeah. So they gathered on the mountain, they worshiped but they doubted. Even at that point at after that point. 40 days with them, they worship, but they doubt it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, of course. Of course they doubt it. Like, so would we. Like, what just happened? Our friend just died, and then he wrote, and we're mm-hmm. confused. And then what's next? And I think that's what we do oftentimes in our life is like, okay, well, what's next? Like, how are we going to do this? You know, and we start to doubt. And I think as you were talking about, like, this missionary zeal or, like, how do we, like, begin to – really live that out. I mean, I think honestly, like if I look at the lives of the saints and other folks, it's acts of faith. It's like, it's like having faith. If I step out that God's going to like take care of things instead Mm -hmm. of me being God and the center of my own world and, and let me handle it and do it all. What I do is I, is I I give God zero room to act. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it touched on something important there. And I think it's in the connection of what you already brought up that Jesus says, peace be with you. And then in the same breath or the same visit says, receive the Holy Spirit who sends you forgive or forgiven them. So peace is the right ordering of our lives with one another and also in us, like we are rightly ordered. And the peace he wanted to give came with the mission that they had, like Peace be with you. Now go forgive sins and reconcile everyone to God, which is the mission of the church. Right. So there's peace in the mission. And if we let the mission order us, we receive that peace. That's the peace. If we try to order the mission, if we try to order the church, we try to order God according to our design, Mm -hmm. that's where the anxiety and the doubt and the fear come from. Yeah. Now, look, Thomas wasn't there for that first meeting. Like he was, maybe he was out shopping, you know, he was getting groceries. And so when he comes back, they try to tell him Jesus came through those doors and he's like, whatever, I'll believe it when I see it. Mm-hmm. I would have been the same way. Mm-hmm. Like if, okay, who, who's the most famous person you would love to meet? 
Jesus. Besides that. Um, I don't know. Come on. You. No. <laughs> I don't know, man. Pope John Paul II. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay. So suppose like he came, you know, you met him, and then I missed that meeting, and I came in, and you're like, dude, you'd never guess. John Paul II just walked in. We hung out. And I would have been like, you're lying. Show me a picture. Now, back then, they didn't have it. But now right. you would have been like, hey, how about a selfie before you leave? <laughs> right? Yeah. So, what is a selfie? He, so, so then you, you would show me. Like, dude, he was here. Like, I time stamped it. Like, here he is. Like, I was like holy smoly. Like, whatever. <laughs> okay. But back then, like, they didn't ha- like, have it. It was just like Jesus came. And Thomas was like, no way. There's no way. Show me proof. And they're like, I don't know what to tell you. Mm-hmm. Like we have no picture. Like, like we, you thought it was Jesus, but it wasn't him. Yeah, mm-hmm. you guys are all crazy. So like the next day or whatever, Thomas is there gathered. He brought the groceries. And then, you know, Jesus walks in again. And he's like, oh, okay, well then prove it to me. You know, show mm-hmm. me a picture. Like, like give me the, and so the hands and the feet, put your finger and the whole deal. Right? Like, like Thomas is an image of all of us and all the disciples, you know, we, we say down in Thomas. I hate the fact that people use that word because it's like, what? Mm-hmm. Like, like he was the only one doubting? No. Come on. Yeah. I mean, it is unfortunate. Like, we don't call Peter betraying Peter. Yeah. Like, no, it's silly. Like, it's so it's silly. Like, d- do not say that. <laughs> well, and Thomas, of course, gave his life for the gospel, going all the way to, to India, proclaiming the gospel, which is a far trip. So he, he definitely believed um, and died for it. But it, it, it challenges me, it convicts me to hear this gospel again, to hear this idea that the apostles, when they became ordered by the Spirit, when the Spirit entered their life, they went on mission immediately, right? They didn't just receive the Holy Spirit and then settle into a comfortable life where they were just kind of upkeeping their parish, up, you know, maintaining things. But they went immediately on mission, which was the big change. Pre-Pentecost, they weren't on mission. I mean, they were following the Lord's orders. He said, wait till you receive the power from on high. So it's not like they were being disobedient. But they weren't on mission yet. But what changed by the power of the Spirit was they were now a church on mission. And Acts, you know, St. Luke goes out of his way to say that the church was at peace in that. Like there was... um, in Jerusalem, the church was at peace. This was before the persecution, the major persecution. But this connection between mission and peace, between knowing who you are as a church when you're on mission and forgetting who you are, um, I mean, another way to put it would be we're either dying for the gospel or dying from each other, it would seem. Hmm. If people stop killing us for proclaiming Jesus, we start killing each other. We start fighting each other. We start creating church drama because we're bored, because we don't have a mission. Yep, that's true. People without a mission get lost. You know, Scripture tells us, you know, people without a vision perish. I mean, you could replace vision and mission. It's mm-hmm. this idea of, like, where are we going, right? And here's the thing about the reading this week, and as you as we walk through this, this Easter season, is that Jesus doesn't want to hide himself from us. He's not like, hey, I rose and I'm hidden. Come find me. You know, mm-hmm. this is not the hidden Easter egg. This is silly, right? Like, the tomb is open. He, he goes to the disciples and peers to them. And he goes back to them. Thomas wasn't there the first time. Like, he wants to show himself to us. So the resurrected Lord still today wants to show himself, mm. be with us, like open our hearts up, like light a fire of the Holy Spirit inside of us, convict our hearts, 
uh, give us revelation that he's alive, he's real, through the Word, through through reading Scripture, through going to Mass, through the Eucharist, through reconciliation, like all the grace, the sacraments, like God's visual signs of his reality. Like, he wants to be known and appear. And so, like, if we begin to pray, like, Lord, like, show me. Show me you're real. Like, it's not like he's like, nah, I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to hide from you. Like, you don't deserve it. What? Like, Thomas is like, no. And he, he comes back. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, he's not trying to, like, hide from us. And so, like, but our hearts also have to question and be open. Like, Thomas is, was, was really wanting to be sure. Like, I think his dad was like, give me certainty. Because if I'm going to risk everything for you, I just want to know. You real or not? Mm-hmm. I think it's a fair question to ask the Lord. Like, you you real? Like, you, you, where are you in my life? Like, bring me alive again. And where a lot of people get stuck is that the the quest to know that, to find out if Jesus is real or not, to find out if He's really risen from the dead, is one of just convince me, convince me this is true. But like Saint Luke, same Saint Luke who wrote Acts. We're going to be reading from. He said, well, he wrote from the mouth of Jesus that the Lord would give the Holy Spirit to anyone who asked for it. You know, Mm -hmm. how much he said, what father among you would give, you know, snake for an egg or whatever? And he says, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And so you're right, Paul. If any one of us said, Lord, Show me you're real. If you're asking for the Holy Spirit, He, God will be faithful. He will definitely give you that spirit in your life, that Holy Spirit who will convict us of what is true and what is right and, and the presence of Christ, the risen Christ in our life. And that's the risk that a lot of us aren't willing to take. We, we sit on the border of that, just like the apostles, and that doubt and that fear. But when we actually ask for the Holy Spirit in our life, when we give ourselves over to it, of course he's real. All of us receive the Spirit when we ask for it. Right. I think a lot of times we, we take our doubt and we we live in the shame of it, like there's something wrong with us, and like we have this lack of faith and who are we to follow Jesus or to serve him when we doubt. Mm-hmm. The reality is that the doubt at you know in Matthew 28, when the disciples go on the mountain to meet Jesus, the doubt that Thomas has here and what the disciples have behind locked doors is affirmation to us that in our human doubt, we can experience the Lord and that, you know, in our lack of faith, Jesus can empower us. Like it, it's, it's human to doubt. Mm-hmm. And the Lord wants to turn our doubt into faith. He wants to turn our fear into courage. He wants to, you know, <clears throat> uh, turn our, our, our lack of seeing in, in the ability to know that he's alive. Like, like that's what the Lord does. We can't self-generate it. That's the whole point. Right. Like, you know, like, yeah. so yeah, I'm going to doubt. Yes. I'm going to have lack lack of faith sometimes. Certainly. But the Lord's not like, Oh, well I'm done with you. Mm-mm. Right. Like I'm done with you. So the, the beauty is that the disciples show us that in doubt, like God is present with us. That's that's amazing. And he can guide our life and be Lord of our life, just like he did with the apostles. I don't doubt my car works when it's driving, when it's parked, or 
whatever, I may doubt it. I may be like, you know, it's, it's, not, it's an old car. It's, it's not, not going to start. start. But when it's running and driving, I know that it's running and driving. And it's the same way with faith. When we're actually engaging our faith, when we're believing the Lord about something, when we're taking a risk and following him, just like the apostles were, we know he's real. We know, you know, it's when we allow ourselves a little rest from the Christian vocation, we allow ourselves a little downtime from being engaged in our faith, that's where those doubts actually become a problem. Right. As long as you're engaging your faith in the midst of doubts, it's not a problem. You're full-blown. You're going. You know, Peter was going after the Pentecost. He was going and going. He still got stuff wrong. He still got even, you know, doctrine wrong sometimes. He had to be corrected by St. Paul on that. It's not like he did everything perfect. But he kept going. He, kept, he engaged his faith in a meaningful way until the end of his life. And that's why we call him St. Peter. Right. And you and I are the same way. We could be canonizable saints if we simply don't allow, allow ourselves that moment of rest from engaging our faith, our moment of rest from following the Lord. We just keep following him every day, taking up our cross. That's true. And nothing can stop that. No height, depth, principality, power. Nothing can separate us from the love of God and Jesus Christ because he's conquered it all. Right. Even our doubts. That's true. Okay, uh, let's take a break and we'll be right back. Paying too much for health care and supporting services you don't believe in? Our sponsor, Solidarity HealthShare, has prices that are 60% less than the nation's average cost of health care. Join the nation's leading health care sharing ministry built by people of faith for people of faith. Saving money through ethical and affordable health care. Call now to see how much you can save at 844-387-8533. That's Solidarity HealthShare, 844-387-8533. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. Thanks for being a part of the show, listening in. Deacon Adam Cronk, Paul George. Thanks to KLFT Radio here in Acadiana, producing the show. And for those who listen on the podcast, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, whatever platform, feel free to be a part and share the show with other folks. Indeed. It's Easter. It is Easter. And we're, I mean, we're feeling it. I think uh, we're both a little whooped. You're probably more whoop, a good whoop. whooped than I am. Yeah, probably. I'm full. I didn't have to serve <laughs> all the liturgies. I just went to Mass once. I mean, Easter. Right, but right. Did the Good Friday thing, yada, yada. But you got to uh, cook a bit, I imagine. You spent some time That's cooking. all I did. I did all weekend because all of our kids were home, and I just cooked all day, every day. That's awesome. So you had a mission. You had a purpose. It was probably peaceful. Not all the time. <laughs> I mean... Were people interfering with your purpose and your mission sometimes? No, no, it was good. It was, it was really, you know, a good weekend. We had a full house, so that's nice. That is nice. Yeah. It's important to be with family during these holy times. But, you know, I, I can tend to overdo it, you know. With the cooking? Yeah, I'm just like, well, I can tend to be very task-oriented. Mm. So, and then, like, miss miss the moments, Mm-hmm. Missed the moments, but we did as a family also go see the movie Father Stew. Ah, yeah, I don't know if you've seen it. I haven't seen it yet. No. So Father Stew the, is this movie produced by Mark Wahlberg, who acts in it, 
and it's at theaters based on a priest who uh, had a degenerative muscle disease, got ordained, you know, and then died. But not to give it all away, but I mean, you could read about like his life, like, right? Right. So it's not about his life; it's a true story. Um, really good, actually. Yeah, it was good. Very good acting and story. Like you know, like it's not like a cheesy like you know sort of mm-hmm. church movie. Like you know, you got Mel Gibson acting in it and Mark Warburg. Those are like really big. Yeah, they're real actors. <laughs> real like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the acting was phenomenal. Yeah, and the you know whatever the visual and the screenplaying and all, all that like it was really good and the story obviously is very impressive yeah i hope it gets a, attention from the non-believing world because I, I mean i mean, it will. Like, I that, mean like, yeah. it's getting a lot of lot of play now mm-hmm. the language is bad like it's it's a real like they don't like try to make this like a soft movie like they do mm-hmm. the real life version of everything and so this mm-hmm. priest had like a rough life before his conversion they don't they don't mince any of that so you know like little kids or things like that like the language it's all there so you you might not want to you know bring your little ones yeah rated r for a reason yeah rated r for a reason mel gibson must have the world record for most like faith-based films that are rated r yeah yeah i mean the passion of the christ is rated r because of because of the violence yeah which we watched that over the weekend as a family yeah we watched it friday which is cool but we all went to see Father Stu, which is which is good. Like, yeah, I th- there was a a couple of moments that I laughed out loud in the movie, and there was a <laughs> there was a moment where I got choked up. Oh wow, really? yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it, there was like a moment where you're just like, what? It was powerful. Wow. Yeah. So I got to go see it. Okay. Yeah, it's a it's a good film. That's awesome. Anyway, so I don't know. So I mean, we can't start our Easter season version of the show without a weird Catholic stuff. What? Yep. Oh, no! Yep. So weird. Why are Catholics so weird? I have no idea, man. Come on! Weird Catholics! Now, I know it's sort of late in in the show, but, you know. Yeah, we had our Easter ramble. Yeah. And then, uh... Yeah, I couldn't decide, did we do a weird Catholic stuff or a six-pack of questions? You know, I mean, everyone can have a six-pack now that it's Easter, apparently. But, yeah. <laughs> well, um, well, okay, so April 23rd is the Feast of St. George. Yes, and which is a, you know, hello? Paul so, George. Sort of a patron, maybe? Totally. I need two saints. It's your surname. To, like, stay alive here. <laughs> But it is a weird Catholic story, and if people aren't familiar, um, it's time to get familiar. With St. George? With St. George. Um, now, everyone should know that St. George is a beloved saint throughout the world. I think in America, at least this part of America, southern United States, probably less than other places, I would say. I mean, we know about him. We know he's there. But in other places, like, he's the man. Who? St. George. Really? Yeah. I, I like would say Italy a lot of people growing up, like, had no idea George was a saint. Like there was, right. n- there's not much about him unless you look it up. I mean, for example, our Holy Father Pope Francis Jorge George Bergoglio. Yes, he's a big deal. He's right? apparently got, yeah. But I mean, like he was around like three hundreds. He died in three o three. A long time Ish. ago. Now, 
Um, is she? He's one of these figures that are larger than life, kind of kind of person, and so like mythical. Well, that's the thing. Some people claim he didn't even really exist because there's so many stories about him that seem so far fetched that it just seems like they were made it up. However, the church, I mean, he's on the calendar. We know he exists. So, so some maybe the some of the stories, but he was definitely a real person, Correct. A real saint. Well, the church declares that to be true. Okay. Yes, some people outside the church say. Maybe okay, not. so then what's the weird Catholic stuff about him? Well, <clears throat> the story is that he killed a dragon. Really? Yes. Like and you knew whole, this, like a whole dragon, like a whole dragon. And uh, yeah, I was a, a man amongst men. Right. Gritty saint. Right. Now, um, he was a soldier in the Roman army. We know okay. that. And he lived during the time of Diocletian. It was a severe persecution of Christians. Um, and so Diocletian announced that every Christian in the army would be arrested and every other soldier should offer a sacrifice to the Roman gods. Hmm. All right. So he was cracking down on this Christian thing. Okay. <clears throat> and George refused. And he left the army and you know, became a leader in the church. He be- proclaimed the gospel. Um, now, was he a priest or a bishop or anything? Well, he gave his money to the poor. He was tortured several times. Wow. He, um, But he slayed a dragon. Can you loop back to that? Like, you just kind of <laughs> skipped over that. Like, that was like a, like a thing. Okay, so there are several stories about George fighting dragons. Mm-hmm. Okay. But in the kind of most realistic version, it seems like it could have been a crocodile. Okay. All right? Because we know that dragons aren't real. Okay. As far as flying, fire-breathing lizard creatures. You kind of just, just like revealed something to me today. I'm kind of trying to process. <laughs> I mean, I think everyone kind of gets that. Sort, but, of li- sort of like unicorns. Right. But we see images of St. George, like paintings, uh, statues of him slaying a a real dragon. In other words, wings, fire-breathing, the works, which may have happened, I guess. I guess you could believe that. He slayed something. He slayed something. But the the story that seems the most believable is it could have been a a crocodile, something like that, that was literally terrorizing a town. Okay. Which is believable. And he came in. And St. George came in because no one else could stop this crocodile. So the, the king of the area actually asked George to intervene because he was seen as a powerful man, a prayerful man, a man close to God. <clears throat> so George did it. He faced the dragon and protected himself only with the sign of the cross. So he prayed and then took his sword and slew it. And after saving the town, the citizens abandoned their paganism and were converted to Christianity. Now, what's very believable about this to me is that this was exactly how people were evangelized for hundreds of years around this time is that some pagan people who believed in a certain type of God, God would send an apostle like George to that town or that area and literally overthrow that God, right? So like they believed in certain gods that when George killed the dragon, now George showed that his God was greater than theirs. And then they converted to Christianity. This is exactly the mode of operation that the Lord uses in church history to convert entire people to Christianity, which is what happened to St. George. And that's why he's so big. It's called miracles. Yeah. It's called faith. Right. Right. Like that's why the lives of the saints were, we love them, but they're not just saints because they lived heroic, godly lives. They're also saints because miracles are attributed to them. Right. Right. Even after their death. 
And so, like, we don't just believe in this old dead faith, like, as we talk about the resurrection of Jesus and the power of the resurrection, that Jesus is alive, the resurrected Christ is moving, the Holy Spirit is active, miracles still happen today. Like, God wants to reveal himself and to make himself known and to to prove that he's the God of gods, like he's mm-hmm. the king of kings, like there is no God greater than him, you know? Mm-hmm. And what proves to unbelievers or people who believe in a, in a non-Christian faith that Christianity is real and worth living is the miraculous. Yes, absolutely. And it, it's effective. So believe it or not, St. George is revered by Muslims and Christians. Hmm. So because <clears throat> apparently this dragon or this crocodile he killed was around Beirut. So like the area where, you know, the Middle East comes about. And so this story, this situation, that this miraculous event has been told and retold and retold in that area. And so, yeah, people uh, believe in it, believe in St. George. And uh, he was martyred, like we said before. So when Diocletian did the crackdown, St. George was tortured. He gave away all his money to the poor before he was tortured, and then he was killed. And so he has that going for him as well. So he saved the whole town, converted them to Christianity, and then was martyred for the faith. And for that reason, George is a big deal. He's one of the patrons of England. Really? Mm-hmm. He's my guy. That's your guy. I mean, I, th- I think that's where my name comes from. Totally. George. Absolutely. Not him specifically, but like England, like that's where my ancestry. Right. I think. Anyway, George is... So like... <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, that's a big deal. Maybe I can pray that I can be a dragon slayer. Well, there's plenty of dragons to be slain, and I think the formula works. Like, if, if the church can conquer what the world can't conquer, because that was the situation. Here's this crocodile, dragon, lizard thing attacking our town. We can't stop it at all. They turn to George because he's known to be a prayerful man, a holy man, <clears throat> a man close to God. And they ask George to handle it, and he does, and converts the whole town. That formula works, and our world has so many problems today it can't solve. You know, like even very close to home, our, our town, our city, our family. Our family, our extended family, we just saw them at Easter, a lot of us. How many problems do our families have that we can't solve? But if we believe in Christ and we could bring him into situations, and if people know us to be prayerful people that know the Lord and they invite us in, Christ can solve problems. He can conquer the dragon. And then all of a sudden, people believe and follow him. I mean, I've seen this just this weekend. There are people that in my family I've been praying for for a long time for their faith. And for some reason this year, they just kind of opened up and were willing to listen, willing to let the Lord in. And like big things are happening. Their, hmm. you know, their, their life is starting to make sense in the context of Christ. It can happen. True. Yeah, there's a lot of dragons to be slain. Right, but in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? Like in the name of Jesus, you slay those dragons, and I'll just step out in faith. I mean, that's what the resurrection's about: is like just stepping out in faith and allowing God to do the work, right? His Holy Spirit just moving in us. Yeah, <clears throat> and maybe that's the answer we were asking earlier: like, how can we give witness to the faith and risk everything? Well, what are the dragons that we could slay? Yeah. Know? And Easter is like this season of Easter leading to Pentecost is about the Lord empowering us to live our life to slay the dragons, Mm -hmm. you know, like he wants to use us on mission. 
Awesome. So, okay. Well, great show. Thanks, Adam. You're heading up to the Ozarks. I am. To read some crime novels and (laughs) sit on a... Yeah, I'll be watching the Norwegian crime series. Yeah. Yeah. You can do that up there with your family. That'll be amazing. And uh, we'll be back next week recording. So thanks, everyone, for being a part of the show. Listen to it. And uh, have a great week. God bless.